All right, so I'm going to talk about Jesus today. Um, and the thing is, when you want to know about Jesus, a really good place to go is to the Gospels because there are first-hand accounts of the things that he did while he was here on this earth and conversations that he had, personal conversations that he had with people. Um, and so this morning, um, the, the scripture that I'm going to read from and take a look at um, is it's an incident that took place about six months before Jesus' crucifixion. And it was a, a pivotal um, point because it marks the climax of his teaching about his personhood. And, um, and also he was preparing his disciples for his um, coming death. So let's just pray before I start. Father, I just um, come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, there is no name greater than the name of Jesus. And we thank you that, Lord, you have the highest authority in all heaven and on earth. And Father, we commit this time to you. I ask for your anointing. I ask for your enabling power through your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to your people. And as we go through your word, that it wouldn't be the words of man, but it would be the words of heaven that um, just touch people's hearts and bring more revelation about the person of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So the, the verses are found in Matthew chapter 16. So if anyone has their Bible and would like to open to that. Um, so it's Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to read um, verses 13 through to 19. But we'll go through one verse at a time. So it starts off, and it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and that's a place that is in the far north of Galilee, um, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's an amazing question, isn't it? Um, and what he was asking for was, well, he, know, he knew that his disciples had been out preaching and ministering to people. Um, and Jesus was just saying, well, what's the um, general belief or what's the public opinion about me? And I don't know whether you've ever noticed, but when you go about in the world, there are lots and lots of people that have opinions about Jesus and they vary from one end of the spectrum to the other. Tony and I have, and Denise as well, Tony's sister is here today, we have some friends that live in the little town where we um, live. And I have their names um, because I've got some reserve stickers on the front of my Bible and I have people's names on those reserve stickers and I pray for them because I want a place in heaven reserved for those people. This is a beautiful family that we've come to really know very well and to love very much. They're people that care very much about, you know, the plight of refugees. They, they care about people who are poor. They care about the state of the environment. Um, and the only thing about them is that they don't know Jesus. And so I noticed, I think, you know, because I often have had conversations particularly with the husband and sometimes those conversations have become a bit awkward because when he has something that goes well in his life, he attributes that to serendipity or he attributes it to maybe Mother Earth or, you know, the stars all coming into alignment. And he basically put something on his Facebook page um, at Christmas time and it went like this. It said, Happy birthday, Jesus. You were an inspiration. 
I miss you. And I thought, wow, okay. And I, I started to, you know how you do, you start to think, well, what could I put in response to that comment? And I held back and I just continued to think about what he'd actually put there. And I, I did feel a sadness and I think it's the sadness that the father's heart would have when he sees that his people don't know him or don't recognise him or are afar from him. And I decided not to put anything on his Facebook page. Um, but I, I started to continue really just to think about what he'd put. And I thought, well, it actually wasn't such a negative thing to put, was it? Because he acknowledged, firstly, the reason for Christmas. He said, it's Jesus' birthday. So that's a good start, isn't it? And then the thing is, he said, you were an inspiration. So he was acknowledging that Jesus on this earth did good things. Um, and then he said, you know, but I miss him or I miss you. And that part of the statement um, to me indicated that he was seeing Jesus as an historical figure, um, that he was someone that came, he made a difference on the earth, but he's dead and he's gone. And so that's his personal opinion about Jesus. So when we look in verse 14 uh, at the response that the um, disciples gave, it says, So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of his prophets. And so it wasn't a negative response, was it? No, there weren't any negative reports there. And they were actually saying good things about Jesus. But I don't believe that Jesus was particularly concerned about people just saying good things about him. And his questioning doesn't stop there, it goes further. So next, Jesus asks a question that's quite a, a probing sort of a question. And it goes on in verse 15, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And so right there, Jesus narrows it down, and he asks for a personal response, doesn't he? He wants a personal response from his disciples, but in actual fact, he wants a personal response from every single one of us in the world. And it's the most important question that any one of us must answer for ourselves. Who do we say that Jesus is? So important is that question that Jesus himself said, and this is in Matthew 10, 32. He said, I tell you that whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father, which is in heaven. So what he's saying, according to Jesus, what we think about him on this earth and how we respond to him will determine our destiny for eternity. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? That is a pivotal point in Jesus' teaching about himself. So then in Matthew um, 16, 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Again, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we can make that a proclamation in our own lives, a daily proclamation. Um, and... Basically, what he's saying here, Simon Peter is declaring Jesus as both the promised Messiah and as divine. So in other words, he's declaring his deity and his divinity. And verse 17 goes on and it says, And Jesus, and he gets pretty excited here, I believe, because he answered and said unto him, 
Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. In other words, happy are you. This is a happy day for you. For flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And so the greatest revelation that any of us will ever have is this revelation right here. That the, and the Father showed him something. And you know, every time the Father shows us something, it is by divine revelation, the revealing work of the Holy Spirit. So that day that you came to recognize that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that didn't happen by chance. That happened because the Holy Spirit, the Father revealed that to you through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, Simon Barjona, He's saying to him, you didn't make this up on your own. You didn't construct this through your own natural reasoning. This is revelation. And so there's a huge difference between natural reasoning and revelation. We can reason that Jesus was a great teacher. We can reason that he left his mark on history. All we have to do is look at the, the calendar and we see that all the dates either have B.C., before Christ, or they have AD written after them, which is really uh, AD is Latin and it means in the year of the Lord. So all of time is split in half from before Jesus' birth and after Jesus' birth. And, you know, like my friend that I mentioned earlier, we can reason that Jesus existed and that he did good things or that he was a good man. We can even reason maybe, that there was something supernatural about him. But we cannot know the person of Jesus apart from the revealing work of the Spirit of God. Who knows? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And that's his job, is to reveal the person of Jesus. And you know, it doesn't just stop at the point of salvation. Right throughout our walk with God, he continues to reveal more of Jesus to us. And the more we know of Jesus, the more that we are transformed. This week, Tony and I and our family went down um, to a little church in, uh, along the peninsula because one of um, Tony's aunts passed away. And the priest who um, uh, resided over, presided over the service, um, he knew the, um, Tony's aunt personally and he gave a little tribute to her. But in the process of his tribute... What he wanted his message to people was he wanted to tell people that without God, our life is meaningless or purposeless. Um, but he got a bit carried away at one point because he said, oh, he said, the internet is amazing, isn't it? I love the internet. And he said, you can get on the internet and you can debate with people. He said, you can argue with people from the other side of the world, he said. And I get on there and I argue about religion and I argue about God with people. I debate with people. And I thought I'd better stay away from him, actually, because I thought I might ask him maybe how many people have got saved because you've argued with them or you've debated with them. Because without the presence and the revealing work of the Holy Spirit, we can argue to the cows come home and people will not understand who Jesus is. So when we catch a glimpse of who Jesus is, you know, it's the most glorious thing that ever happens in a person's life. And it doesn't come by listening to an argument. It doesn't come by natural reasoning. You know, but when that understanding comes and it comes into our heart, 
that this is the king. Jesus is the king. He is the king of the universe. He is the promised Messiah. He is the ruler over nations. He is the son of the living God who came to be our redeemer and our savior. When we know this in our heart, what does Jesus say? He says, we are blessed. Who's blessed here today? Who knows that Jesus is king in this place? Hallelujah. We are blessed. We're a blessed people. And, you know, once we get a a grip, once we get that little taste or glimpse of who Jesus really is, it brings stability into our life. You know, we are never the same. We can't be the same. Once we know, once we've touched the hem of his garment, we cannot be the same. And, you know, we can be the most skilled person. We can be the most learned person. We can have incredible insight into so many different things in the world. But none of those insights give us true stability. And none of those insights have any eternal worth. Tony and I um, have a friend whose dad was um, a professor of sociology, and it was a privilege to meet that man. He was such a gentleman. He had the kindest heart, and he called himself a Christian humanist. And he believed in the principles of Christian living, but the thing is he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't believe that Jesus was who he says that he is. And he was so clever, this man, that he wrote books. He wrote textbooks. And so his textbooks were in, on the shelves of universities right across the world. And he, um, he lectured. Um, he was a professor in Canada. He was a professor in England. He was a professor in Melbourne. He was an extraordinary man. And, but something happened to him when he was a little bit older, when he was in his 60s. Um, and this was when Tony and I first got to meet him, he was terribly sad. And one of the reasons that he was sad was because a whole new group of young academics had come along and they had new ideas and so they wrote new books and new theories and they wrote new textbooks and suddenly that whole framework, that foundation that he had built his entire life on the belief that he knew the answers to all society, it all crumbled. So the foundation that he, he... And his words were, I feel like I have wasted my life. But praise Jesus, because of the prayers of his son and his daughter-in-law and his grandchildren, his wife came to know Jesus. And then he, before he passed away, came to know the person of Jesus Christ. He came to know him as the Messiah and as his personal saviour. Isn't God good? You know, and for the very first time in his life, he had a foundation of truth that would never, ever crumble. And it took him through to eternity. So once we see Jesus as king, you know, we can never be defeated because there is no greater authority or power in the universe. And once we see him as saviour, we can never fear being lost again because there's all redemption, there's all forgiveness, and there's no condemnation in Christ. And you know, once we see Jesus, who he is, our future is secure because there's nothing that can overpower us and our past is covered because we've got a saviour who can take care of all our weaknesses, all our faults. He takes care of them. 
So after Jesus said those words to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, then he did something extraordinary. And it says, um, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in he- who is in heaven. But I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. And so at this very point, what happens is that God, Jesus gives Peter a new name, Simon a new name. He calls him Peter. And the receiving of that new name was the evidence of a transformation happening in Simon because Jesus only calls things what they are. He doesn't say, look, I'm going to give you an image and you've got to live up to it. He is recognising here. He's saying to Simon or Simon Peter or as he becomes Peter, you are a different person. And that wasn't the first time that um, Simon or Peter had heard um, that name because he'd met Jesus three years earlier um, when his brother Andrew had brought him to, to meet Jesus. And at that point, Peter had not come into a full revelation of who Jesus was, but it was then that Jesus prophesied and he said, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. Um, But this time here on this occasion was the first time Jesus declared it. And it's the declaration of Peter's new name. It was dramatic because Jesus was affirming, you're a different man. And then from that time forward in the Gospels, we, we see that people then begin to call him his new name. And you know, on that first day when we meet Jesus, when we incline our heart to him, I believe that he looks at us and he sees incredible potential. And that potential comes into being because of his influence in our lives. He makes something of us. And you know, we don't, like Peter, we don't have to wait till we die and we meet Jesus face to face to to see the working of his glory. We actually have God's transforming power at work in us right now. So then after that, Jesus goes on and he talks about um, building his church. Um, But I think at this point, what he's doing is he's making it very clear the, t- the kind of people that he makes his or he builds his church out of. And it's the people who know who Jesus is and are transformed people. And the glorious church that he goes on to talk about is a church that hell can't withstand. So let's look at verse 18. And it says, And I say also unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the gates represent authorities or power. So in other words, the power or the authorities of hell shall not prevail against his church. And verse 19 says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So in verse 19, Jesus is speaking of an army. That's what he called, what his church is. It's a trained group of people who have received his authority and know how to function in it. And uh, these are the things that make a glorious church. It's a transformed people and it's a victorious leader who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, you know, if we look at the circumstances in our own lives, things where 
areas just look bleak. You know, when we look at problems that we might have or we look in the world and we, we feel depressed because of the sorry state that we see that it's in. You know, and we've got any doubt that Jesus can do what he says he's going to do. All we need to do is look at a man who hung on a cross, who was buried in a tomb and who rose victoriously on resurrection day because the grave could not keep him down. Jesus rose and, and that's, the, that's the God. That's the God. That's the Jesus that we serve. All right, so he conquered death and he ascended on high and in his majesty all power was given to him in heaven and earth. And he says to us, he says to us, now go in my name and I will stand with you. And it's an awesome call, isn't it? And it's an awesome promise. You know, sometimes we see the church in defense stance, you know, with the enemy attacking us. But the good news is it's actually the other way around. Hell will not prevail against the church because we are an attacking church. We are an advancing church that is moving forward. So every time we pray for somebody who needs to know Jesus, every time we talk to somebody and tell them about the love of God, every time we move forward and we look at hopeless situations and, and de declare that that, you know, the enemy will not have his way. You know, what we are doing is we are uh, taking back ground that the enemy is illegally holding. So when the people of God, that's when you and I, come to realise that the deity and the life of the living God has been released in us and that nothing can withstand us, we will answer his call and we will move in power. So now... What we can do is we can confidently turn and we can look at every circumstance in our lives and in the world and we can declare that the gates of hell shall not prevail. When we look at our friends and our loved ones who are a long way away from the Lord, when we look at broken marriages and relationships, things that look like they can never be repaired. When we look at even just the perversion and the, the corruption that is in the world today, when we look at sickness, when we even look at our own weaknesses and our inclination to sin, if we begin to see these things from a heavenly perspective, we can hear the voice of Jesus say to us, the gates of hell won't prevail against you. Just acknowledge me and begin to confess my name over every circumstance and we will move in triumph. Hallelujah. So that's a promise of Jesus to each one of us who know him. So my question today is who do you say Jesus is? And it's actually not my question. It's his question. Who do you say he is? Do you truly believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Because if you do, blessed are you, says Jesus. But you know, maybe about 30 years ago, I knew about Jesus and I believed that he existed. But I didn't have a full understanding of his personhood. And you know, it came to a point 
where I had to acknowledge him. And you know, I said before that Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven and before all the angels. He is a good God. He is a faithful God. He is faithful and true, our Jesus. We praise him. Lift up your arms and begin to praise him this morning for his faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for you are faithful, Lord. You are a good God. You are an awesome God.